The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Watchbox is different. We're going to create a worldwide standard, a global standard for this $500 billion category, and we're going to create liquidity for people from all over the world to sell us their timepieces. Everybody loves a David and Goliath story. The problem is, in business these days, the David is usually a family business and the Goliath is some technology-juicing giant. Goliath is usually winning. So, here's a story that returns to classic form. Danny Govberg is the CEO of Govberg Jewelers in Philadelphia, and he's also the CEO of Watchbox, an app and website that's shaking up the world of luxury watches. By Govberg's count, he's selling at a rate of $200 million worth of watches this year between the two businesses, much of it in brands like Rolex, Patek Philippe, and Omega, brands that run in the thousands and tens of thousands of dollars per watch. And he says he's growing more than 30% a year. All of this is happening while the popular narrative is stacked against him. Supposedly, hardly anyone wears watches anymore. And for those that do, the Apple Watch and Samsung Watch are running roughshod over the market. Well, that's not the whole story. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and you're listening to the Fort Knox Podcast, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. I do this weekly, bringing you the highest achievers. We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Apple's podcast app is the most popular way to tune in, but there are all kinds of ways. Mainly, I want you to subscribe, and the internet can do the work for you. I met Danny Govberg at the Breitling Boutique on Madison Avenue in Manhattan. You'll hear the sounds of the store and maybe some construction next door. We talked about how the business evolved from his immigrant grandfather's beginnings as a watchmaker and why technology is growing his old family business while it's killing others. Here's Danny Gutberg. Danny, tell me about your family legacy in Philadelphia in the watch business. Okay, so my family started, my grandfather started in the business in 1916. He was a watchmaker, started at around 17 years old. Hmm. Um, he went to fourth grade, then he learned how to be a little bit of a watchmaker, and then opened his own place when he was 17 with his brother. Was he born and raised in Philadelphia? Yes. Um, he wasn't born in Philly, he was born in, I believe, in Russia, ah. in, the, in the Kiev. Yeah. And then he came here when he was like one or two. And then, um, and then, they basically went into the diamond business for the next, till 1983, and I came around <laughs> because uh, he wasn't really doing watches and he was doing diamonds, more like in a jewelry district, mm. a small store, 700 square feet. And then my dad joined them uh, in the 50s when he graduated Temple University. And then they continued on in the same store, in the same uh, area of Philadelphia, our like jewelry wholesale area. And then they, uh, when I came in in 1983, and I was going to be 
selling jewelry and diamonds, I decided to go into watches because they had already owned their territory. So it was like I was third man up for everything. <laughs> How old were you? And my you brother was in the business too because oh, he's one okay. year younger. Right. When, so the like, more generations you get, the more people. Yeah, it was like we had five of us: my dad, my <laughs> grandmother, my uh, my uh, brother, myself. So we're all in one store, so I went into watches, and that became my thing. So how old are you in 83? Because I think you said- 83, you, I was 23 years old. 23, so and now fresh, young <laughs> Danny is out, and, and he sees this used opportunity too, right? Because yep. you saw that your friends- And that's how I started. Were, so ah. I started in used because where we were located in Philadelphia, the brands wouldn't give us uh, the authorization. And back in 1983, it wasn't hard to get an authorization. You just had to be in the right area. Mm. And people really weren't uh, as watch crazed as they are today. Back then, it was pretty much Rolex, Rolex, Rolex. <laughs> um, and then I liked the pre-owned watches because that's something that I could do back. And they were just starting. So as an example, a Rolex Daytona that today could go for 15,000 to 2 million were $300. Mm. So watches that sell for a million dollars today sold for fourteen to seventeen thousand in nineteen eighty-three. Oh wow! Then about three, four years later, when I was twenty-seven, I told my dad that I was doing pretty good in the watches, that I wanted to open a store in the suburbs of Philadelphia, mm. and he said, uh, and I also told him that my brother will go <laughs> and help me, so I'll stay with you, but. At the same token, you got to turn the business over to me too, because okay. watches are going to be big, or I can go to the suburbs myself and go my own way. And my dad, uh, he said, "This is I was 27, so he was probably around. He's 83 now, so 83, so it's uh, 27, so he was 53." He said, "Okay," and he started to go to Florida and basically turn the business over to me and my brother. How did you do starting out? Uh, starting out, we did great. I, my brother went out to the suburbs, did a good job. We took every brand that would give us the line and became pretty much overnight uh, the watch store of Philadelphia. How? Well, why were you so good? Was it because you had uh, grown up in the business? You lived and breathed it? One, not many people were into it. People weren't coveting these watches. So when I was taking the watches, we became a store that had a lot of the brands. We also did pre-owned, so I always took in pre-owned, mm -hmm. and we just specialized in it. So people very quickly, when brands did get popular, then many stores couldn't get the brand. Like we already had, quote, the franchise. Mm -hmm. So we got Paddock Philippe, for instance, in 1988. Um, today, it could take you years to get, it took me years to get it, actually. But today, it's much, much harder. The businesses are much bigger. And we were in on the, the ground floor. I want to talk to you about transforming a legacy business because it, it's fascinating to me that I hear so many stories about hard luck in the watch business. You know, Apple's doing this, you know, people aren't wearing watches anymore. And yet, in the luxury space, there are some brands that are doing really well. You seem to be doing really well. What, are, are you at a $200 million annual run rate now in your business? Yes, we're, uh, that's where we're running. We're growing at 35%, around 35, 40% a year for the last number of years in the category because the category's taken off. But mostly 
Uh, when people talk about the smartwatch or uh, the Apple Watch, I think it's, it's a mistake because the watch industry is sort of seeding that high-tech is Apple mm. and low-tech is the traditional fine timepiece. What should the industry be doing? It's actually opposite. Huh. Real high-tech is the watch industry and low-tech is Apple. How so? Because Apple's just software. It's a software upgrade, it's a chip. So it's a chip with some software, you throw it away, after six months, maybe even after a year, you have to get a new one as technology goes up. The tech doesn't change that much, the software programming does. Mm. Where if you would look at some of the finer timepieces today, like a Brightlink, for instance, they're using micro engineering. So the little screws are in people's mouths for, uh, you know, for implants. The materials, the metals are going to the moon. The oils that they're using are being used on satellites for forever lubrication. So the coils that they're using are sometimes thinner than a hair. You can't even see it. So if you would take the, um, the evolution of technology and watches, it's much, much greater high tech than the latest Apple upgrade, which actually is great for programmers, but I wouldn't call it uh, the space materials that are going to go to Mars or, uh, you know, people don't realize that these wristwatches are micro-engineering feats and that the machinery that's making them are some of the most advanced technology in the world that goes into actually making and producing a wristwatch today. So I, I believe you've said that your uh, pre-owned business is three times bigger than your new business, but they sort of benefit one another. Yes. At what point, I think you said it was around 2010, what made you realize that technology needed to be a bigger part of what you were doing with your business and that, and that you needed to really jump into it? It's a good question. So what happened was, I, two things. One, I realized that the millennials were going to be much more social. Hmm. Okay, so two, I realized that they didn't mind screens. Okay. So when I grew up, you stood behind the counter. A millennial sits or stands behind a screen and they love it. They talk to their friends, they can have a number of conversations going on, they can type as fast as I speak. They can text multiple people at the same time, almost, and hold four conversations while I'm speaking to you. You sound like you're the parent of a millennial. I am a number of millennials. <laughs> and what I found was that I needed to take the business to what they enjoy so that they would have passion. And that's when I decided also that traffic was gonna change because what really I saw coming was that the journey for exploration, be it in watches, be it books, be it cars, the journey used to be at the store level, mm -hmm. at the dealership level. I wanna see what my options are, let's go to the mall. Right, right. now I saw, I saw the journey for all this learning was going to now start online. Now this goes against the grain of how the watch industry, the luxury watch industry, has traditionally done business. They, they set entirely different rules on what you had to do and where you had to go to see the watches. So the primary, this is here at Breitling, 
they're primary, and their rules have rules, depending on what brand. Mm -hmm. So Rolex has different rules that Breitling has, and Breitling has different rules than IWC has. For example? For example, how you show, what you can say online today about the watch. Some brands let you put the retail price. Some brands say you can't put the retail price. Some brands don't even allow you to show the collection. Some brands let you show the entire collection. Some brands let you give technical details in one way. Other brands say no technical details at all. So the brands are very controlling. Even the shop in shops within your store, how do they look? How are the watches displayed? What's nice about pre-owned is it has no rules. Pre-owned can go to the world. Pre-owned is not about the brand dictating, it's about the brand acceptance. So what we try to do is raise the standard of pre-owned to the highest level. So what is gonna be the Mercedes-Benz certified pre-owned car? What is that gonna be in the watch industry? So what Watchbox is doing is we're setting the standard on a global level of what a consumer should expect in a pre-owned luxury timepiece, both with transparency from our app, mm -hmm. which says, let me tell you what it's worth. You don't have to guess. We can give you an idea. We can store your collection for you so you can enjoy it. Um, today with augmented reality, you can try on the watch yourself and test what it looks like on your wrist. You can get the latest news from the industry if that's what you want to follow because it's your hobby. So using technologies today, being able to go to the world, what's happening is a, a young man or a dad or somebody that's a little older that has 10 watches that he's accumulated and thought they just have to sit in a drawer for the rest of his life or pass it on to one of, your, one of his kids, today they can come out of the drawer. Mm. They can be sold, they can be traded. And what you're finding with the millennials today, if you talk to them, they are not going to die with a watch if they buy a fine watch when they're 30 years old, for the most part. They're buying these things, they're enjoying, they're, they're celebrating their victories, but they're not thinking that that victory at 32 years old necessarily means that they can't swap it for something else in the future. If their dad gives it to them, of course, right. but their times are gonna change they may have a child that doesn't like it. And I think what you're gonna find is, is that wristwatches for men that have moved from a need, because we needed to tell the time, to a want, mm. are very much like why a woman wears jewelry. I was gonna ask you about that. How male is the luxury watch business by and large? For us, yeah. it's probably, and I don't have exact, but it's around 85%. Mm in the luxury sector. And the reason is for watches, when men fall for them, it's sometimes a wedding band and a watch is their primary piece of jewelry. Culturally, we don't have a lot of options. Right. At least in the, in the US, if you know, male jewelry, it's, it's pretty much a watch, yeah, and you're, and you're wedding. Whereas women have other options. Is that what you feel it is? I yeah, mean, well, you, you guys... I would say to you, we don't need a watch to tell time today. So, and a young lady doesn't need a ruby because it's red. There's a new generation of Govbergs in the business. Two of Danny's sons now have leadership roles at the company. My son Brian is much more knowledgeable about the product now than I am. 
and there's so much more data for them. So we had to go on gut, and they can go on data. They can look very quickly to see what our database is and what our technologies can give them information on what things are worth, where we had to sort of know it. We didn't have the luxury of uh, screens. Your dad's still down in Florida? My dad's in Florida with my mom. He's retired. He lives in, uh, in Jupiter. What does he think about what's happened with the watch business? You know, I think he's very proud of us. I think my dad's proud of my brother and myself. My brother's retired too. He's in Florida. He's been retired for 15 years. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, so it's only me left. Uh -huh. But I do have my niece work for me though, so that's nice. And I think that the watch industry today, especially in the pre-owned, because it's such a big category, is going to disrupt our entire industry. Because it's about a four to five hundred billion dollar category that the watches are going to come out, and then every year, forty billion dollars worth of watches are sold. So every year, if you take five more years from now, there'll be another $200 billion sitting in drawers. As these watches come out, and people realize that a four-year-old watch is just like a four-year-old child, it's not old, <laughs> these things are supposed to last 100 years, and then I think you'll find that many, many more people will buy pre-owned, and many more people will use what they already own in pre-owned to buy new because people still want new. People still want the enjoyment of a brand new watch, but they also want to have the option. So they're going to force brands that used to tell them how to buy or what brands would tell the consumer what they wanted. The consumer now says, I want the rights to trade my watch. I want the rights to buy a pre-owned watch, or I want the rights to trade my watch for a new watch and the brands are gonna to have to give the customer what they want because the journey for them to even learn what they want is now online. It's not controlled at the boutique anymore, it's controlled online. And where Watchbox is different, we're gonna create a worldwide standard, a global standard for this $500 billion category and we're gonna create liquidity for people from all over the world to sell us their timepieces. Were you surprised that Apple's gold watch didn't seem to stick? I think that Apple maybe knew that it wouldn't stick. I think it was a very good for publicity. Um, you know, I, when I look at Apple, I say, wow. You know, friends of mine owned camera shops, and they, when the first iPhone came out, they said, uh, they're not going to put me out of business. And, you know, iPhone 10 is out. There's not a lot of camera shops. But what I can say is, if you look at the Leica camera business, which is the finest German camera, you're on a wait list. Hmm. So in the finest categories of luxury, the finest camera, fine watches, technology is not necessarily replaced all of that. But I wouldn't necessarily bet against uh, Apple on, <laughs> on anything, especially when I see the, uh, the Apple 15 watch. That thing will probably just be a chip and I won't have to wear a watch. It'll just, you know, it'll just tell me everything I want to know anyway.
Now, I did say Danny Gutberg is from Philadelphia, and considering the way he's embraced social media and YouTube to market Watchbox, sometimes featuring celebrities and athletes, I wondered whether he got any celebratory visits from the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, you know, the Eagles showed up literally the day after the Super Bowl. Uh, three of them, they wanted to get a Super Bowl watch for themselves. So we had them in, and the whole building was a buzz, but... Look, we waited a long time, so yeah, hey, you know, good for us. We deserve one. <laughs> What's your aside from the obvious busy time of year? Because I imagine people maybe shop for watches for themselves on a different schedule than hey, it's it's Christmas time. Well, or it's, a it's interesting. Season. Of course, December is the busiest. Right. But for us, we're pretty much busy all the time now because we're growing so fast, mm -hmm. and that's not because we're that we're. We're just in a space where we've developed our business where the customer wants the service and very few are offering it. So as the customers want to trade, they want to sell, they want to trade for pre-owned, there's so many people finding us that we're just busy all day handling the increase in people that just want the service. Hmm. So it's sort of like Uber was growing because that many people just from month to month to month wanted to use Uber. Yeah. We're just a service that people can pick up the phone and get instant information or they can download our app or they can watch our TV show. You know, it's funny to even think I watch a TV show. <laughs> the only reason I say it is because our YouTube channel that goes at night. So my older son has his own show. It's called The Watch Insider. Okay. Right? Yeah. So we'll watch the show at home with my little guys who are nine and six. But they don't know. They're not watching it on the iPhone or the iPad. They're watching it on TV. Samsung television set. Right. And they're like, come on, Dad, let's go watch Brian. He's on at a certain time. <laughs> so it's like his brothers, and then he comes over, and they're like, Brian, I saw you on TV. So think about it. What's going on with YouTube or now having your own channels, because we're going to have our own channel within the next six months, mm -hmm. uh, with the way apps are, now people are building their own apps for their own channels yeah. on the smart TVs. And what you're finding is, to a 10-year-old, he doesn't know, he thinks it's on TV. So if you're on TV and you're beaming to the world and your kids are watching it on the smart TV, they just think you're a star. And that's changed a lot from the early days of YouTube or the early days of that adoption where you could only see it on an iPad or on a cell phone. He's preaching to the choir here at Fort Knox. My thanks to Danny Govberg. I'm John Ford from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes and leave your own. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube. F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com slash YouTube. Follow me, John Fort, on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll see video from some of these interviews. You can say hi to me live, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Just go to YouTube and search for Fort Knox or go to Facebook or Twitter and search for John Fort and follow me. You'll figure out what to do from there. Meanwhile, tell a friend, share this, drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, FortKnox.com, LinkedIn, especially LinkedIn. Love to hear from you there. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.